KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. If you've ever loved someone with dementia, you know what a scary, exhausting, heartbreaking journey it is. And so when I got an email from Us Against Alzheimer's about their new brain guide, I thought I should check it out. It's a clearinghouse, a one stop shop. For everything Alzheimer's, there are resources for patient and caregiver, friends and family. And you can take a quiz to test your own brain health or someone else's to see if there's reason for concern. And there was a statistic they cited that really grabbed my attention. 60% of Alzheimer's cases in adults 65 and older go undiagnosed. I'm Carol McKenzie, and in this episode of KYW In-Depth, we're talking to nurse practitioner and Penn assistant professor Adriana Perez about MyBrainGuide.org. Adriana, thank you for joining me. Let's talk about this new tool, the Brain Guide, the launch of the Brain Guide. What is it? How does it work? Sure. Brain Guide is a simple, easy-to-use platform created for everyone, uh, which means that a caregiver and a person that wants to know their uh, baseline cognitive health can take the test or you can respond to the questions for a loved one. And again, you can take the questions for yourself. Um, It's available in English and Spanish. And I believe it truly helps to empower families and communities to take their first step on learning about their own brain health and the health of their family and their loved one. For me as a practitioner, this is a very helpful tool to refer patients to. Brain health is not often part of the discussion between healthcare providers and uh, adults, older adults. So I think that this really puts, uh, again, the opportunity for people, the general public to start to learn about their own health and be able to take their results to their healthcare provider. I've been very involved in the development and testing of the brain guide, and it is based on the best evidence out there. It's a, again, an easy to use guide and anyone can use it. It's, it's actually quite simple, but also in the end, you get some very helpful information about your cognitive health. And it's at mybrainguide.org, right? Yes, you can access it at mybrainguide.org or by phone at 1-855-272-4641. And I think that's an additional benefit. Most of uh, the patients that I see do not have access to internet or a smartphone. And so Being able to call and talk to someone by phone is a major uh, resource and benefit to the Brain Guide. I would imagine, too, it's an important connection for people to have, particularly if they're at the beginning of this journey. It's very scary. Yes, absolutely, Carol. And, you know, I think that's a very important point. Um, It's the beginning and and. Unfortunately, you know, Alzheimer's is a disease that often goes unrecognized. So the screening for it is, is very low. Uh, people that are 65 and older, you know, experience these memory problems that, that are not addressed uh, right away. And w- we think about cancer. You know, if you think about, for example, 60% of cases not being uh, diagnosed, if that were cancer, you know, 60% of cancer not being recognized and only until the late stages, it is very unacceptable because there is a lot that can be done in terms of a treatment plan, 
addressing any factors that are contributing to memory issues. Being able to recognize Alzheimer's early on is very important to the treatment and the life of the person that's affected and their family. I want to get to the treatment in a minute, uh, just because a lot of people feel like there is nothing you can do once you have it. But I want to we'll loop back to that. But I want to hit on the statistic you just said, which is that Alzheimer's disease goes unrecognized in 60% of the cases in adults 65 and older. That stunned me. 60%. How? And if you've known anyone with Alzheimer's, you think, how is that possible? I think what's also important here is that the majority of the unrecognized uh, treatments largely fall on uh, ethnic minority populations, obviously those that are uninsured or underinsured. So there are a lot of disparities within the community. And so that's why, you know, my focus on Spanish-speaking Latinos, because in that population, this issue is especially important. But yes, as you said, 60% of cases when there is something, you know, that we can do, uh, these, these questions about memory health are very easy, you know, to administer and do not take a lot of time. So it should be part of a primary care provider's uh, toolbox in terms of, you know, annual assessments, health promotion assessments. So there's no reason that we should, you know, that that 60% is, should be a, an issue. I took the questionnaire. Um, One of the things, you know, when you first log on is it asks you if you want to do this questionnaire to to test your own brain health, your own memory. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I have to admit, I mean, I don't have, I think, you know, any extraordinary memory problems, but I was nervous. I thought, oh, my gosh, what if I take this and I find out that there's something wrong? Um, You know, and I would imagine that's probably a common feeling for most people who log on to this. Yes, it is. And, you know, that it definitely reminds me of patients and, you know, uh, people in my research. It is a, it is a scary thought to, to think that you are, you know, that you are maybe losing your memory or cognitively, you know, your brain health is failing. It, it's very scary to think about. And so that often, you know, leads to myths or people not wanting to also follow up. And and I think the best thing about Brain Guide is that it sort of sets up the conversation, you know, with you, your family, and your healthcare provider. It's the beginning of that conversation that we should all be having. So you you talk a lot about stigma, about the stigma that still surrounds dementias mm-hmm. and Alzheimer's. So when you're treating people, I guess like what what do you see out there by way of of stigma here? You know, many times, I think the biggest myth and the stigma around it have to deal with because you're getting older, that it is acceptable, right, to not have good memory health. And so that is the biggest myth. It's not a normal part of aging. And I, especially, you know, in the Latino community, often that is the thought that it's acceptable and that it's a normal part of aging. And so I really think that conversation with patients and families about, you know, not being normal and that there's a a lot that we can do in terms of being proactive, right, about preserving memory function, thinking holistically about the person's health overall, especially when it comes to memory and issues that can cause serious problems down the road. If somebody, you know, we all forget things, you know, every now and then, but when it becomes 
part of your everyday life and not remembering to do important things or events can cause serious problems to your overall health and well-being. So that's when it's not just kind of forgetting uh, to pick up bread at the grocery store or forgetting, mm-hmm. you know, just having those mental, what we call sometimes brain farts or, you know, those yes. things like that. So at what point do you do you realize that it this is not part of kind of just normal everyday human memory problems that we might all have that don't mean anything? Like at what point should you be concerned? What what are the signs that that may make you think you or a loved one may be, you know, heading into something more serious? Yes, good question. So as I said, we all forget things every now and then. We forget where we place our keys. Sometimes we might even forget uh, something we want to say, a word, for example. Um, so language is a big part of it. it. You know, if you constantly forget how to say things or, you know, the word, you know what you want to say, but you can't say it. So you start to experience uh, verbal problems, language problems is one. This, the, another one is that, yes, it, while we might forget things, everybody forgets things, when it becomes part of your everyday life. Uh, one example I have is a patient who always, you know, started to forget where she placed her money, her checkbook. And over time, it be- Came such a, a big problem that she would forget to pay her rent. You know that caused a lot of financial problems for her. That is a problem, right? When it starts to create consequences that can can be very harmful to you personally, your health, you know, financially, any aspect of your health. And then finally, you know, we all make bad decisions every now and then, you know, we, it, we call this uh, executive function, right? The, the ability to make good decisions. And so when you start to make bad decisions all the time, that really is, a, you know, that's a, a big sign. And, you know, finally, I would say if your memory compared to someone your age seems worse, uh, that's also sort of a, a, you know, red flag. So being around people your age, but you you know, the one that has the worst memory or your memory or your language, you know, forgetting to say certain words is not like that of your peers. You're uh, in the same age. That's also a red flag. So so talking about this can be really hard. And if you've mm-hmm. ever, ha- you know, known anyone with a dementia or Alzheimer's, you know that that conversation is fraught because I think the person on the other end, this is terrifying Nobody wants an Alzheimer's diagnosis. So do you have any tips? And I know there's a whole section on the Brain Guide for caregivers. Do you have tips on how we can talk to someone, a family member perhaps, you know, who we think really needs to go to the doctor to be checked out for this? How can we do that without scaring them, but then also, you know, getting them on board with it to actually go get checked out? I think, you know, and this is a very common question from patients, especially like you said, loved ones. How do we begin to talk about this in a way that is, does, does not uh, frighten the person, the family? And, you know, I always refer to it's better to know than not to know because there is always uh, something that can be done. And sometimes, you know, it, there are many underlying issues that could be causing memory problems. 
So it might be some other issue, you know, it might not be Alzheimer's or dementia. There are many underlying, you know, issues that contribute to poor memory. So it could be that. So finding out what is causing a memory problems is such an empowering, you know, way to talk about memory health. And often, you know, people value the, the health of their memory. People value their memories, especially, you know, thinking about positive aspects of their life. So when I talk about memory health, I talk about that in, in, in ways that the person realizes what a positive contribution, you know, their memory makes to their everyday life. And again, just knowing what is causing it is, you know, something that, you know, we should all be thinking about. And ultimately, people think about their family. You know, this is something with Latinos, for example, is often a priority. They don't want to be a burden to family. They want to do all they can to take care of themselves. So knowing that Alzheimer's disease and dementia are issues that impact especially families and that we can do something to help families is another way that we can talk about it, you know, so that you really feel the ability to be able to do something for yourself and your family. One of the pieces of information on the brain guide uh, is about risk groups. And Mm -hmm. you've mentioned Latinos and Blacks are among the risk groups. Um, Women those with hearing loss and those with blood pressure issues. You know, especially uh, blood pressure control. uh, That is the majority of the patients, the etiology, the cause of, of, uh, you know, cognitive problems that I see are those that have long-term blood pressure issues, uncontrolled hypertension, so uncontrolled blood pressure conditions uh, for a long time. You know, high blood pressure does not cause any symptoms. And can often begin as, you know, you're a young adult, you have high blood pressure and you don't know it because you're not feeling anything. So those annual wellness visits for all of us are very important because if you are diagnosed with high blood pressure, again, you, there's a lot of, you know, treatments available, again, figuring out what's causing high blood pressure in a young person. But as you get into, uh, you know, being an adult and you've had uh, blood pressure problems for a long time, that does begin to affect your brain because, you know, not being able to circulate, you know, a proper blood to your brain and the rest of your vital organs over time, that does take a toll. So you see that as the mo- one of the most common causes of cognitive problems, Alzheimer's, it's uh, usually related to hypertension or circulation issues. What about hearing loss? What's the connection there? I think what, you know, with hearing loss, when somebody has, it's sort of, you know, one of the, one of, as I was mentioning earlier, you think that somebody is not responding appropriately because they have hearing problems. So people often neglect or don't follow up. They think it's normal that somebody with hearing problems might forget things. And so people with hearing problems often also go uh, not diagnosed with Alzheimer's because again, it's a, people sort of expect that you, you know, you have hearing problems, so you're not responding to questions or following up on questions. I think that the more severe hearing loss, especially you are at risk, that stimulation. And, and then on the other, uh, other side, sort of you have hearing problems. And so 
the stimulation, the being able to follow up on any kind of decision that you have to make is is also more heightened in somebody with hearing problems. And then we mentioned, I mentioned the other two, women and then Latinos and Blacks. And, you know, women tend to get Alzheimer's more than men. I'm wondering if we know why. And then it makes me think, okay, so if you're a Latino or Black woman, you are probably among the highest risk for getting Alzheimer's. Is that a, is that a fair extrapolation there? Yes. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of this, uh, there's still a lot of research going on in terms of causes uh, for Alzheimer's, but for ethnic minority populations like Latinos and African-Americans, you know, Latinos, for example, are one and a half times more likely to develop Alzheimer's than non-Hispanic whites. Uh, and often, you know, this is attributed to being less likely to be assessed or diagnosed. Less than half of individuals with dementia that are Latino, for example, report that their healthcare provider has talked to them about uh, cognitive health, the health of their brain. And again, more common in women. Uh, they're more likely to experience racial discrimination along, you know, as a patient or as a family caregiver. One in three Latinos report they've experienced healthcare discrimination. We have policies uh, that are, you know, don't include, for example, uh, immigrants in terms of health insurance, um, you know, being able to access health insurance. And this is the big one for me, you know, as a researcher, is that the Latinos are less likely to be enrolled in research. Um, you know, all of my research is focused on Latinos for this reason. Uh, less than 6% of all clinical trials uh, that are federally funded include Latinos. So they don't always have access and opportunities to be part of the research uh, infrastructure in our country. So that really leaves out a big portion of the population that is affected. So, you know, having bilingual resources, having opportunities for research, uh, being in the healthcare system with access to health insurance coverage, those are all really important initiatives that, you know, colleagues at, at us against Alzheimer's and myself, you know, really work on. And so the brain guide, again, this leads to having this accessible to anyone, regardless of their education, their ability to pay, their language. So you had mentioned treatments. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of uh, maybe people, usually you say like once you have Alzheimer's, there's nothing you can do, right? It's just a progressive mm -hmm. disease. So what can you do, if anything, what are the latest treatments out there that you can that you can use perhaps to slow the progression? Um, it's an exciting time, I think, because so far, Alzheimer's, you know, has always been a, the kind of chronic disease that is truly diagnosed once a person passes away, once a person dies. But there's a lot that is developed over the last several years in terms of assessing, you know, diagnosing and treating. There's um, new blood, you know, tests that can be done to really find the person, not just, you know, the, the diagnosis, but the risk for developing. So I think there's a lot that has been done in terms of diagnosis and especially diagnosis early on, you know, with different testing and, and especially, like I said, the blood lab work that, that can be done now. So, so, so far, you know, there, once a person has Alzheimer's, there hasn't been a treatment that is shown to reverse that condition. So 
once you have Alzheimer's, it's a slow and and uh, it's a slow progression to cognitive decline. Uh, but so it's that progression of cognitive decline where we can do something. And current research, you know, is testing different uh, therapies. There are some medications that help alleviate some of the symptoms. You know, so it's more of treating symptoms. It's uh, helping people maintain, preserve their current function so that they can do a self-care, you know, be able to do their activities of daily living, feed themselves, dress, you know, all of those Mm -hmm. things that we have to do in everyday life. Uh, I'm involved, my research is focused on physical activity and using uh, regular physical activity as a treatment to prevent that decline. There's a a lot of research, you know, and, and emerging research that is showing how we can prevent the progression uh, and halt the disease, uh, especially early on when somebody has, for example, mild cognitive impairment. So right now, the, the treatment is really focused on preventing any further decline. And certainly there are medications that are being tested that are underway. And so we know that that will also be coming soon. You know, there are medications that, that are one that has uh, currently been approved the um, results on that medication are not fully supported by the research community. You know, their uh, medication hasn't really shown to be as effective. But I think that the community, the public, really wants to see a drug, a treatment that one can take to prevent or to really address Alzheimer's and reverse cognitive decline. So so far, we haven't seen it, but we, there is hope. You know that that. Uh, pretty soon, you know, there will be a treatment to reverse Alzheimer's. There's also on the brain guide, a very large section for caregivers. And I think caring for somebody with dementia, I mean, stressful doesn't even seem to to cut it. Uh, You know, I mean, it can be on the caregiver such a heavy load to bear. And I did notice that, that you have a lot of different pieces of information. So it's not just the brain guide is not just for, uh, you know, you have a lot of um, obviously resources on there for people who might have dementia, Alzheimer's, but there's also quite a few resources for people who are caring for somebody with Alzheimer's. Yes. And often that, you know, the support comes from peer groups, other caregivers that have been on the, uh, you know, sort of the Alzheimer's journey for a long time. Uh, that help others, especially if you're a new uh, family caregiver that is taking care of a loved one with Alzheimer's, there's a, there's a lot that can be shared among peers. And so support groups are very important. You know, I'm always a part of the advocacy group, you know, and us against Alzheimer's is an advocacy group to make sure that there are, you know, federal resources, state and local resources, respite care, in other words, for caregivers, that they, that there is more of financial support. Mm-hmm. You know, many uh, families, for example, full-time caregivers also uh, are young people. Many are women and they are also working. They're maintaining a full-time job while being responsible and taking care of their loved one with memory problems. So there should be more support. You know, there should be uh, caregivers save our country so much money because they are the ones, you know, uh, taking care and keeping the person, the loved one at home in their community 
rather than when you think about it, you know, the alternative, especially for someone that is not able to care for themselves is to be in a long-term care setting. And that is really costly. So there should be more support. Um, And so, yes, as you mentioned, you know, brain guide, wherever you take it, whatever state you're in, wherever you live, it will lead you to resources that are local and accessible to you. Yeah, that's really important. I think it can be if that can be feel very lonely, um, you know, that is a, a journey that can be mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausting. I'm so glad you you said that because that's also the help that one needs is just being not feeling alone, be, having someone to talk to, uh, you know, uh, whether it's healthcare professionals as well as peers. Often that in itself, you know, it, there's uh, it, is a big help to let the person know that they're not alone and that, uh, that, you know, they have uh, others out there to support. So let's end this with a tip or two about um, what the best two things, one or two things you can do, let's say, to keep your brain healthy and sharp. Physical activity, you know, for all of us that, that I tell even that even to my students at, uh, you know, the school of nursing is that, if you are active, so far the research shows it, and not just for brain health, but for many aspects of our health, being active and being able to get as much uh, physical activity throughout the week. And there are uh, small ways and big ways, right? It's, you know, ways that you can uh, make sure that you are getting in more steps throughout your day. Uh, many of us have been working from home, you know, th- during COVID. So that this has been especially hard for all of us in the last year, but getting up to be active, to, you know, do more things around the house, your yard, keeping your body active really helps to promote uh, not just brain health, but blood pressure, you know, improve blood pressure or, or maintain a healthy heart. The heart and brain are so connected. And so staying active is a great way. Also just, there's a lot that we can do in terms of our diet, uh, following a, you know, uh, Healthy, well-balanced diet is also, you know, it's an area of research that continues to be explored, but we know that all the things that we promote for heart health also benefit your brain because your brain depends so much on your circulation and the health of your heart. So when you think about those things, uh, it is important. And then, you know, for, especially for memory, um, Using, you know, doing these uh, memory exercises, uh, things like crossword puzzles, reading, keeping your brain active through exercises uh, where you're um, learning new things, you know, uh, whether you're learning how to do a new dance or you're learning some new game, uh, keeping your brain alert that way, it it has is also showing to uh, really be so beneficial, whether you are just, you know, trying to work on not having any cognitive problems, or you're starting to experience some mild memory problems, uh, you know, doing things throughout the day that keep you alert, reading, uh, I have patients that say, you know, they like to um, engage in prayers every day, you know, what all of those things that keep you alert and uh, thinking, uh, you know, um, are beneficial to you. Adriana, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having this conversation and, you know, shedding a light on Alzheimer's and uh, my brain guide. And I do hope that listeners um, take us up on 
uh, just going to learn more about it and taking the test for themselves or their loved one. And it's mybrainguide.org. Yes, thank you. Or if you want to call, it is at 1-855-272-4641. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol McKenzie, and we'll have another episode out soon.